Our text today is Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 39. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to them, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magdan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we're so incredibly grateful to come here and study your word. And so we ask you to impress these words upon our hearts and our minds and our mouths that we may carry them with us everywhere we go. Amen. The human heart is an interesting thing. Uh, We kind of think that we get things, right? We get it. Somebody tells us something and we get it. But then they have to tell us over and over and over again. Those of us with kids, we know this. Those of you without kids also know this because you were kids once. But when we were little kids and sometimes big kids, sometimes we've had to be reminded of things multiple times, right, of the right path before it sinks in or sticks in our head. Maybe it's something like, don't play in the street. There's cars that can hit you. We tell kids to look both ways before they cross the street because cars could hit you because it's dangerous. And we might have to tell them multiple times because they weren't necessarily listening the first time that we said it. Huh? What'd you say? God, I think, is a little bit like that with us and our hard hearts. Sometimes he has to tell us something new that sounds a lot like what we just heard because maybe we just don't get it. We need to hear it over and over again. And you you may be thinking that today a little bit, like, didn't we just talk about this miracle the other week? No, we didn't. We talked about one that was really similar. And and even if we didn't, like, why, why do we need to talk about him feeding another group of people? We just covered this. Why a second story that sounds a lot like the first story? And this is an important point to ponder, because The New Testament, we've said this before, is not like the comprehensive history of Jesus Christ's life. It does not include every historical detail about Jesus' life. It's a particular snapshot. It's an intentional snapshot. It's God's words through the hands of men recorded, and God picked what was recorded and what wasn't so that we would understand our covenant with the Lord. So there is a reason that particular events are shared and others are not. 
And some of that is left to the divine, minister, the divine ministry of the Lord and the divine mystery of the Lord and what He chose to reveal to us. But I like to think of it sometimes like God as a parent. I mean, we refer to Him as Father, us as His children, adopted sons and daughters. But God as a parent is, is guiding and directing our paths. And sometimes, like a parent, He has to tell us multiple times which way we need to go, to look both ways before we cross the street to not kick the ball into the street and play in the street. Last Sunday, we talked about the command, which you just read again, to rest on the Sabbath, right? And God then continued to reaffirm that command throughout His Word by talking about the Sabbath, by reinforcing the fact that we have to rest on the Sabbath, that it's for our benefit, right? So that we can worship Him. And we can't do this, we can't do this if we can't see and we're not fed. See, we can't worship God well if we can't see and we're not fed. And that's really the premise of what we're going to talk about today, seeing and being fed. Do you know, I know you know, because you and I texted about it, but do you know what the most common of miracles that's performed in the Bible is? Do you know? It's the healing of the blind. It's the restoring sight to the blind. And I would argue that many times people are blind. If not physically blind, they are spiritually blind. And so my encouragement for us as we study this passage today is that we should be people who have eyes that can see. Not just physical eyes that can see, but spiritual eyes that can see. So he who has eyes, let him see. So we jump back in, we jump back into our passage today with another anchor, another reference of location. In verse 29, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and He went up the mountain and sat down there. So we get this specific location, but Mark, Mark gives us an even more specific location in His telling, in His gospel, in verse 731. He said, Then He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon and the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. Now this is important because these are real places in real time, and it also answers the question of, well, didn't we just hear about this somewhere else? See, Decapolis was a region made up of predominantly of Gentiles, and it was located on the south side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, like I said, some people say, well, this is just another retelling of the feeding of the 5,000, of another of that multitude that we just spoke about. But if we use just evidence, we use evidence from the Gospels, we see that's actually not the case, that these are two separate events. And, and the clues lie in the verse that we just read because the stated locations are different. The stated locations for where both of these miracles took place are different. And when we see how the 4,000 are fed, we will see that the physical landscape is different than the landscape in which the 5,000 were fed. So I want you to keep that in mind. These are separate places, separate locations, separate events. Different place, different people, but very similar miracles but they're told intentionally, and they're told intentionally so that our eyes can see and our bellies will be full. So just like other encounters with Jesus, great crowds are following Jesus. And we know from earlier in Matthew 4 that the word of Jesus had spread throughout this particular region, two areas like Decapolis. So it's no surprise that when Christ shows up there, so did people, even Gentiles, even people that weren't Jewish. 
But what's important for us to remember about the landscape and the geography of where, we're, where this is taking place is this isn't like an instant journey. Like Jesus showed up into town and then everybody came and met him. This takes place on a mountain. So word has spread and people are coming in large groups, but there's time to travel for this. This isn't just around the corner. They have to travel to come to this mountain to where Jesus is. And this is a journey that these multitudes of Gentiles are willing to make because they are bringing those that need to be healed and they believe that Jesus is the answer. These Gentiles have heard of the healing powers of Jesus and and they have people within their communities that they feel are hopeless and need healing. And so they make this long journey to bring these people to Jesus. Verses 30 and 31. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, and the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. I mean, this must have been a sight. Like, very literally, this must have been a sight. And you, you have to remember that, like many of Jesus' other miracles, this was done in front of a large group of people. This wasn't just some like, backdoor miracle where we go in the back room and we say we healed somebody and we come out. This is, and nobody can verify if it really happened. This is in front of thousands of people. 4,000 men, not counting women and children. So who even knows? Is this 10,000 people? Is this 15,000 people? You see, it's easy to gloss over some of these miracles because they feel the same and not really think about the power and the importance and and the situation of the people who were there who were experiencing this. The lame, the crippled, the blind, that, that, that word crippled, we, we don't use that in common vernacular anymore, but it means, it means it was someone that had a limb that didn't work or, or didn't exist, right? A, a, a non-functioning arm, or, or maybe you don't even have a, an arm, or, or a physical, visible birth defect, a physical birth defect that people could see, that everybody could see, and Jesus healed them. He restored them. He restored them to perfect health. People with crippled arms who no longer had crippled arms. People who were paralyzed, who, who, who could now walk. A deformed body part made healthy. These miracles were visible. They were outward signs of Jesus' power as the Messiah. And there's something important to pay attention to the way Scripture speaks as well. It talks about the mute speaking. Jesus literally gave people their speech, gave them their words. And then, of course, the blind seeing, restoring sight to the blind. And these people, they traveled days. They traveled days so that they could get to see Jesus and feel the restorative power, the healing that could come only from Christ. They had faith, even if they didn't really know that they had faith, even if they didn't really know what they had faith in. But what they had faith in is that they believed that Jesus could do this, that Jesus could heal them. And there's something else that I love, is that they came in need, seeking compassion. Not just the physical healing, but seeking compassion. 
And, and you can see the gentleness of this in the manner in which Matthew records it in his gospel. He says, they put them at his feet. And I think the word actually translates a little bit better to they laid them at his feet. And if you look at the Greek, it means gently laid on the ground. These people weren't like wheelbarrows full of crippled and lame people and dumping off. Here you go. Stand more. Get on that. Look at me. You got to get run, gun through the rest of the day. These were people that are care. I mean, think about the journey you have to make if you have a crippled friend or a crippled family member and you have to hike it up a mountain. You have to carry them on a stretcher, on your back, between friends. These are people that, that gently laid these people in need compassionately at the feet of Jesus. They didn't just like toss them there. These people were placed with care before Christ. All of these miracles, all of these people <laughs> being healed. And the greatest of these is the restoring of sight to the blind. You might say, well, why? If we go back to Exodus 4.11, it says, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is not I, the Lord. The Lord restores the words to the mute and the sight to the blind. It is only God. It is only God that can restore the sight to the blind. Psalm 146.8, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Only God can restore sight to the blind. It's the same as it was now, as it is, same as it is now, as it was then. Only God can restore sight, both spiritually and physically. But I think this is greater than just the physical restoration of sight, the physical bringing of, of words from the mute, the physical of, uh, restoration of the healing of the body. There is a spiritual aspect to these healings as well. Christ is allowing these Gentiles to see Him. Not just physically see Him, but Holy Spirit in your heart, cutting deep, see Him. And look at what all of these people did when they saw Jesus. The former mute, the former lame, the former crippled, the former blind. What did they do when the miracles were completed? They glorified God and they worshipped Him. The first thing that they did was glorified God. They acknowledged and glorified the source of their healing was Jesus Christ. It's the very first thing that they did, and I want, you, I want you to hold on to that as we work through the rest of this. And it continues in verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples and said to him, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Just think about this journey. There's thousands of people. There's thousands of miracles. And Christ is healing them all individually. This has to take a few days. And, and all of these people probably didn't coordinate beforehand. Hey, uh, Vern, you guys going to pack the cooler? Jason, you guys bring the drinks? We're going for a three-day, all-day miracle uh, bash or a three-day miracle bash out on the mountaintop, right? They, they're all following Christ. No one's got a game plan that it's going to take this long. So they have enough provisions for what they would assume would be a reasonable amount of time. But Christ is giving individual attention and healing all of these people, and it's taking time. 
and now they're three days in, and they don't have any food left. And I think what's incredible about this is we get to see, just like last week, with the persistence of the faith of the woman with great faith, the Gentile woman, we get to see again this week the great compassion that Jesus Christ has for the world. For the world. For the Gentiles that are to be grafted into the new Israel, to become part of the people of God. To have compassion for people and to heal people that up until this point were pagans that didn't know Jesus, that didn't believe in Jesus. They were most likely probably active in sin within their pagan communities, in their unbelieving communities. And what does Jesus do? He shows them compassion. But there's something subtle here that you'd miss if you weren't reading it in the Greek. And you guys all read it in the Greek this week, right? Yeah, good, that's what I thought. He says he is unwilling to send them away hungry. The word that he uses for send away in the Greek translates as dismiss. It's the same reason that we, it's the same word that we've seen when the disciples want to kind of get rid of a person. Remember the, the woman that was wanting to have her daughter healed last week? The disciples wanted to dismiss her. When, when the disciples wanted to get rid of the other crowds, they wanted to dismiss them. Like, eh, we're done. Let's go. So Jesus is using the same word that the disciples have used with him as a polemic to make a point. You see, in the past, the disciples, when they're tired, I mean, this has to be tiring, right? This is hard work, feeding these people, caring for these people, moving these people. There's 12 disciples in Jesus and 10 or 15,000 people. So you can see how the quick response would be like, let's just, we're good, right? Everyone's healed. Work is done. This woman's pestering us. Let's just go. Let's be dismissed. I would say maybe even Jesus could be a little bit pokey here by using this word. It's kind of like Jesus saying to them, listen, I already know what you're going to tell me. I know you're going to tell me to send these folks on, to dismiss them. But I'm actually not going to do that, right? Jesus is not going to do that. He says to them, he says, I am unwilling to dismiss them away hungry, to send them hungry, lest they faint on the way. He's kind of saying, I know what you're going to say, but I'm unwilling to do that. I want you to really think about this. Think about if you were the person that came to get healed, you weren't physically healthy before showing up on this mountain. You weren't physically healthy. Maybe you've been like this for a little bit. Maybe you've been like this your whole life. Your friends haul you up a mountain to see a man that they believe can heal you. And you wait in line. And maybe you're in the day three crowd. You wait in line for a couple days. And you're tired. And you're hungry. And you're gently, you're gently laid before Christ and Jesus fully heals you. You're fully healed. You are as healthy as you could ever be because God has just healed you and now you're rejoicing and now you probably really realize how hungry you are. You were tired and hungry before and now you're healthy and hungry and rejoicing and your body needs physical sustenance. It needs food before you take this journey back because what will your healthy body do? Probably faint and pass out. If you don't take care of your body, and have enough water, there's a potential on Valentine's Day you could pass out at a restaurant. 
We got an ambulance ride that night. Makes for a Valentine's Day dinner we'll never forget. Right? Your body needs sustenance. Your body needs food. Your body needs water, lest you pass out before you go home. So Jesus' compassion isn't just compassion, it's practical. Here's a hint. It's a spoiler for the end. Your compassion also has to be practical. So look at how the disciples respond. Verse 33. <laughs> I just laugh. Like, if you don't believe in the sinfulness and the hardness of the heart of the human condition, you just have to watch how the disciples continue to interact after witnessing miracles firsthand. Verse 33. Where do we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? Doesn't that sound familiar? Haven't we already had this conversation before? <laughs> Didn't they already witness where Jesus can get the bread? And Jesus says to them, again, practically, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Again, it's familiar. It's a different answer, but a familiar answer. Different people, but a familiar answer. Well, we have seven loaves of bread, Lord, and a few small fish, which makes me think of Monty Python and the herring. But never mind. Verse 35, and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, right? Again, that's familiar. Sounds a little bit like the last miracle of feeding the multitudes. Jesus brings order. God always brings order. God cannot be chaotic. So they organize the people. He, he tells them, directs them to sit down in groups of people to be manageable. He's getting the people set up in verse 36. He took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks, that's why we give thanks before meals, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. See, Jesus continues to do the thing that only Jesus can do. He multiplies blessings and goodness. You should remember that in your life. Only Jesus can multiply blessings and goodness, and He can, and He does, and He takes the food, and He gives thanks, and He starts giving it to the disciples to pass out to the people who are in an orderly fashion. Verse 37, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. <laughs> it's the same as last time. When Jesus feeds you, you will always be left satisfied. So much so that they're leftovers. Think about this with this crowd eating. These are healed people whose bodies hadn't been healed, who now need a whole bunch of sustenance because they are literally a new creation. Literally a new creation. The mute who can speak, the blind that can see, the crippled that can walk, the lame that can move about. And now they need sustenance. There was so much food that there was leftovers after all these starving people for three days ate. God, God can multiply blessings and goodness at least 4,000 people, probably 10, maybe 15. Seven loaves and a few small fish multiplied, healed, and everybody's full. They're full physically and they're full spiritually. 38, those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And 39, and after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. See, just like at the beginning and with our children and adults, sometimes we all need to hear and experience things more than once for it to click. In the public speaking world, they tell you it's tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. Got to you know, have a little sandwich on both ends. Same with teaching. 
But the reality is true. Many times in life, we need to hear things over and over again for it to click, for it to stick. I think in life, a lot of times, we can be so close to the trees that we really do miss how big the forest really is. And it's because we have hard hearts. We talked about the sin problem last night. We talked about the sin problem that believers still have, even though you're justified before the Lord. You see, our hearts can be hard even when we don't realize that our hearts are hard. That's why sometimes God just has to bang these things into our brains. And the disciples give us this very real glimpse of this. That's why if you were to invent a religion, this wouldn't be the book you would write, right? If you were to invent this as the story, it would play more like they come up to the 4,000, they're coming to be healed, and the disciples say, oh, look, we only have seven loaves and a few small fish. Let's take them to Jesus, and he will multiply them. Ha-ha, what a great idea. We are men of perfect faith. But that's not how it plays out, right? The men who were closest to Jesus still had hardness in their hearts because the fall is real, and they're in a situation that's really similar to a previous situation. Large crowds, lots of healing. They're at the hands, uh, the, the hands of Jesus are touching the people that are at the feet of Jesus. And the servants, these disciples, are called to care for these people. They're crowd control. They're praying. And they're witnessing this. And they're an active service of Jesus. And we know that they're tired. But they still let their worldly logic defy the spiritual truths they knew to be true. They actually know that Jesus Christ can feed everybody. They know that. They know it so well because they've seen it. But how do they react? They, act, they react with a very practical, physical problem. And they say, there's not enough food. We have that much bread and this many people. What are we going to do? So Jesus reminds them of this incredible policy statement. This is a policy statement. It's a policy statement of our church. As of this moment, it was before, but now you get to hear it live. We don't dismiss people. We don't dismiss people. We don't just send them packing. Have a nice day. Thanks for coming. See you all later. Best of luck. I hope you get some food on the way home. We, as Christians, have a responsibility to care for the complete person. We, as Christians, have a responsibility to care for the complete person. And anybody that has been in a position to serve others knows that compassion is hard work. Being in compassionate service of other people is emotionally taxing. It can be toil. It is incredibly, incredibly important work but it can be difficult because when we are caring for people with compassion, especially when people are having a really difficult time, sometimes those people are not at their best selves. When we need caring, compassionate care, sometimes we are not at our best selves. So I would imagine that the disciples were very tired. I would imagine that the little bit of hardness in the heart after caring for all these people and the other people and the other broken people and, 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 that sometimes it's just like, they're good, right? Like we did the bit, we got them, best of luck. Have a nice walk home. And this can happen even when you're surrounded by Christ's goodness and mercy, which all of you are. 
this hardness of heart and forgetting that we have to compare for the, uh, care for the complete person, not compare. I, com I made two words, one word that weren't the right two words. We have to care for the complete person even, even when we're tired and even when that work seems overwhelming. And just like the disciples, sometimes believers fail to draw the conclusions from God's goodness and mercy and then apply them to their lives and other people's lives, which is really what this is all about, isn't it? Seeing the goodness of God, experiencing the goodness of God, being fed by the goodness of God, and then applying it to your life and applying it to the lives of other people. It's seeing and feeding. It comes back to seeing and feeding, and which is really what we saw in this passage. Christ opened the eyes of everybody who was there. Some he physically healed with eyesight. Others, he opened their mouths so that they could speak. Others, he, he fixed their physical infirmities so they could walk and, and use their hands and then be mobile and all of the other things that could have impacted them. But what he really did was restore sight to all who were there. He opened their blind eyes to his mercy and his goodness and his compassion. And then he fed them. He fed them with physical food and he gave them spiritual food. They were fed with bread and fish, and then they were fed through prayer and healing. Loaves and fishes, compassionate healing. You see, Jesus is the source of healing, the source of blessing, and the source of the meal. But it is the hands of his disciples that carry this work out. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is the source of healing, the source of blessing, and the source of the food, but it is His disciples that carry out the work, which is where you all come in. You see, God opens your eyes so you can have faith in Him, so that you can glorify Him. He opens your eyes so that you can see. He allows you to see, and then what does He do? He feeds you. He does this through His Word, both studied and preached. He feeds your soul so that, that you know that you are His redeemed. He gives you your daily bread. All so that you can do what? Glorify Him. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's your job. Your job is to live out your theology from your fingertips to go glorify God, which is why worship is so important. How we come together here to corporately glorify God is really important. But you are also to glorify Him in everything that you do, in prayer, in worship, in meditation, through your fingertips, right? My, my buddy Brian's comment is you live your theology out of your fingertips. And you do this you do this by having compassion, by not dismissing, by feeding other people. You have to feed them physically. You also have to feed them spiritually. Physically, you do this through a meal. You invite people to your table. Kristen and some of the other Colorado pastor's wives had coffee with a couple of the pastor's wives up in Moscow, at one of the, a couple of the pastors from one of the churches in Moscow. And they met and talked about a lot of things in their secret lady meeting. And they had coffee and they had fellowship. Well, and one of the topics that I was allowed to know about, I'm just kidding, was the importance of hospitality. 
the importance of Christian hospitality, the importance of women teaching other women how to be hospitable. Men, we must teach other men how to be hospitable as well. But they talked about the importance of the tablecloth, this idea that you set your table with the intention to show other people that the Lord is good. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. How many important discussions take place over a meal? When you're in a courting period with the person who will become your spouse, you go out on dates, where do you go? You go a lot of times to meals, and you, you break bread, and you eat, and you get to know each other. When we bring new people into the church, what we do, we invite them to the outpost, we feed them a bunch of food. We fill them physically, and then we try to fill them spiritually as well. When you have a neighbor that you want to share the gospel with, what's the easiest way to probably do that? You, you take them out for a cocktail, or you go out for coffee, or you go out for a meal. Don't miss the power of being physically fed and how it helps people spiritually experience Jesus. You are providing them sustenance physically and spiritually. And what happens when we feed people physically, especially we bring them to the table with good food and good wine, what happens to their defenses? They usually lower. They start sharing. Let me tell you about this thing. Let me tell you about where I struggle. Let me tell you about my joys. That is the opening for you then, after physical food, to bring the spiritual food of the gospel to help them open their eyes, to help them see that the Lord is good, that the gospel is life-saving. See, seeing and feeding are the ways that we go out and fulfill the Great Commission. And truthfully, this is the blessing that the outpost has been to us. It is a place where we can feed people, we can see them being fed, and that we can experience that, that concept of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. We want people to feel it inside our home. I was just trying to think when I was writing this the other day, how many people have come through our home in the last two and a half years? I have no idea. I have no idea the number of people that we've had for food and for fellowship, visitors, out-of-state people, local people. I, I don't even know. I can't even imagine. It's been incredible. It is a place where bellies are fed. So much good red chili last night. I don't even know. Kristen made like this. I don't even know how many gallons the giant soup pot is. We ate almost all of it. It was so good. It's a meal where you can taste and see that the Lord is good. People lined up in the kitchen, you know, scooping bowls of chili and laughing and joking and, and singing and, and, and experiencing bellies and souls being filled with the goodness of the Lord. You can taste it and you can see it. It's seeing and it's feeding. But none of that matters if it's not rooted in compassion. It was because Christ had compassion that he did these things. We are to be imitators of Christ. As we grow in our sanctification, we are to go out and live Christ-like in the world, which means we have to be compassionate people. That word that he uses for compassion we talked about a couple weeks ago, it means in your bowels. I mean, it's just deep down, like really means in your bowels. It means that seat, that seat, you know that seat emotionally where you can feel things. Here, where you hurt, or, or you rejoice. Here, 
in your bowels. It is to be the deepest level of compassion for other people, the most inner compassion. We don't dismiss people. We help them see the truth. We lead them to the path of righteousness. This is what Christ had with these people, this type of compassion. And this is what we are called to imitate as well. Family, I pick on the world a lot because some of it's so incredibly insane. But the fact is, it's insane because the world is hurting. People are hurting. And they are hurting because they cannot see. They're blind. They need their eyesight restored and they need their bellies full. They need this physically and they need this spiritually. And it is a tiring job that requires incredible amounts of compassion. Because this pathway to sight, as you know, can be incredibly tiring. It may feel like you are scaling a mountain. You may physically have to scale a mountain. You can think of it as the amount of exertion that would have been required by somebody who is physically impaired trying to get to Jesus on this mountain to be healed. If you remember last week, we talked about persistence. You have to have persistence in faith. Your persistence has to be focused and, and pointed at the right direction, but you had to have persistence. These people must have had persistence to make this journey and to stay for three days with no food. Sometimes you may have to wait. For those of us where patience is not our strongest spiritual gift, waiting can be very hard. There may be trial, there may be pain. That is why the required response has to be compassion. Deep-seated in your bowels, compassion. This is how we are to receive and not dismiss those who cannot see and those who need to be fed. We receive them with compassion because if you remember, you all too were once blind. There was a time that you couldn't see Jesus. Talked last night about the reality of the sin condition and how it impacts all of mankind, but how it connects all of mankind. While your sin may, may manifest itself in a different way than somebody else, the problem is still the same. You too were people who could not see, and Jesus opened your eyes. So have compassion on those who cannot see, because God has had incredible compassion on you, even when you were dead in sin, even when you recoiled against Him. He saved you. He loves you. He has compassion. He's washed you clean, all so that you can glorify Him. I read this at funerals. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. It said, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God is a God of comfort. He is a God who allows the blind to see, who can heal the sick, who feeds their bellies, who comforts them and us in our afflictions so that we, 
so that we can take that same comfort and comfort other people in all of their afflictions in the same way that Christ has compassion on us. Compassion is at the root of discipleship. It is at the root of helping the blind see and feeding people. And I promise you this, family, you cannot glorify God with a hard heart. It is impossible to glorify the Lord with a hard heart. You can only glorify Him with a humble heart. And the only way to get a humble heart is to be aware of the goodness and the mercy of the blessings that He gives you, that He actually sustains you. That He sustains you. That the sight that you have was given to you by Him. That the bread that you have came from Him to feed your bellies and to feed your souls. In Christ, you have every single thing that you need. It's that section that Jason read of Philippians, from Philippians 3 today. But it's not just for you. It's not for you to hoard and to lock yourself in your room and to keep your personal relationship with Jesus. It's for you to be like the disciples, to go out and feed other people, to carry the basket, to comfort the sick, to reassure them. Use your hands and your feet to care for people with the gifts that God has given you to spread compassion. People should know you are a Christian by the manner in which you love them and love the world, even though you're not of the world. People will know you are a follower of Jesus by the manner of your compassion. I want you to take this away and to put this in your brain and your heart, and I want you to sing this in your head all week. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the first hour I believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He, he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this heart and flesh shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Be a people of compassion with eyes that can see and bellies that are full and take this to the world. Let's pray. Father, we're so incredibly grateful for you feeding us here today, fulfilling our, our bellies and our souls and opening our eyes that we may see one another, but more importantly, that we may see you, your goodness and your mercy, your sustenance and your compassion. And so, Lord, may we be compassionate people. We may, may we live out our theology in our fingertips, the people that we interact with. May they know that we are people of compassion. May we dismiss no one, but instead bring the truth of your gospel everywhere we interact and everywhere that we may be and to everyone that we meet.
We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.